The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Rejoice, Christian. Our Redeemer lives, and in our flesh we shall see God. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of His Word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Most gracious Father, we rejoice in knowing that Your love for us is never-ending. Even though the good times and the bad times, we know that our trust must always be in you, and it must never waver. Grant that your grace will be upon us, and that your grace will overcome our self-pride, our pridefulness, our self-centeredness, our self-righteousness, and that our trust in you will be would not be overcome. That we will know that our righteousness is is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is His righteousness that saves us. So now give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a humble heart to understand Your divine Word. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The other day, I heard my two, two-and-a-half-year-old grandson ask his grandma a question. He asked, am I a boy or a girl? Am I a boy or a girl? So, so my, uh, his grandma hears the question, and, and, and she answers him directly. She says, you're a boy. And he repeats it. He says, I'm a boy. But then he comes back. He goes, well, is his cousin Brookie a girl or a boy? And his grandma says, Rookie is a girl. And he repeats it. Rookie's a girl. And then he goes all through all the list of all the cousins, and he asks, is so-and-so a girl or is so-and-so a boy? His, his grandma answers each and every question straight on. And he repeats it. And that was it. Plain and simple. There was no confusion. None. No confusion. But what if? What if when he asked the question, when he asked the gra his grandma's question, am I a boy or a girl? She would have responded the way the world responds, the way the world talks, the way the world views everything, the way the world is, where the way the world thinks is that be who you are. The self-centeredness of the world if you think that you are whatever you are, be that. Can you imagine the confusion if he asked his grandma, am I a girl or a boy? And she said, what do you think you are? See, that's, that's horrible. I mean, it's, you, we can't even grasp the, the 
wickedness of, of such a thought. But that's the way the world thinks. That's the self-centeredness of the world. That's the righteousness of the world. Truth. In this fallen and broken world is a deception. You are what you want to be. That is the, the, the definition of self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and pridefulness. That's a deception. Yeah, and we have to be careful even as Christians to, to guard against deceptions, the deceptions that we can sometimes believe. We could be deceived. We can get stuck on thinking that we're doing all the right things as a Christian. That we're checking all the boxes like we're supposed to do as a Christian. That we're praying here and we're worshiping here and we're tithing here and we're doing everything that makes us a Christian. Doing all the things that makes us Christian. We are basing, when we do things like that, when we think, when, they, when that is our mentality, what is happening is that we are basing our righteousness on the things that we're doing. Our works. Our works. That can happen. That can happen to even Christians. Some Christians can get caught up in that. So when something bad happens to us and we run into a season of, very, of hardships, we start thinking, how can God, how can God have done this to us? How can God have, uh, why is God punishing us? We're doing everything we're supposed to do. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened where you start thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. And then you come across a, a, a hardship, a very difficult time, a, a severe time. And you start thinking, well, there's something wrong. There's something wrong that I'm doing. What is going on there? Why is God testing me the way he is testing me? Well, listen, that's the, that's the story of Job. That's the story of the Old Testament story of Job. The Old Testament story of Job is, is a... Is a story about a man who's self-righteous. He's a prideful man. He's a man that needs to be humbled. He's a man that needs to repent of his self-righteousness. Now, as we, as we look at our passage today, and we try to get clarity on, on what our passage is saying on verses 23 and 24, we need to, to understand what it's saying because if we just read that passage, we might get a different interpretation as to what it's actually saying. And that's what we're going to get into. Now, you've heard about Job. You've heard that he's the most righteous man on the planet. And we're going to get into what God says and what, what goes on there. But let's start by getting some background so we can understand the passage just a little bit better. You remember the scene at the very beginning of the book of Job where Satan stands before God. And God asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Interesting. Well, Satan has a response. He has several responses to that, but one of them is Satan immediately accuses Job of fearing God because only because God has prospered him. And to make the long story a little shorter, God allows Satan. He said, God says, strike, uh, Satan says, strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you. God grants Satan limited, uh, limited permission to put Job to the test. He puts Job to the test. But why? Now think about that. God is putting Job to the test. And notice, and we all get it, we get that God, that, that, that Satan couldn't do it on his own. He, God has to allow him to do it the way he allows us to go to, to be tested. But why does God allow Job to be tested when he knows that Job is going to fail? God knows that he's going to fail. He's God. Why does God allow it? Why does God allow us to be tested? But He knows we're going to fail the test. And see, that brings a question up that, that's around Christian, the Christian circles, the question of why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? Now, to dig into that answer, to dig into the answers to those questions, why do the righteous suffer? Which is the question, which is the question that Job has. That's the question of the book. That's the question that Job is debating. That's the question that Job is debating with his friends. I righteous. Why do I righteous? A righteous man. Why do I? Why is God making me suffer? Notice that Job is considered or considers himself a righteous man. We are told that Job does all the righteous things. See, that's the question. Why is Job considered a righteous man? Well, we're told that. We're told why he's considered a righteous man. Blameless. Paul talks about being blameless. Job does all the righteous things. He does all the things that he's supposed to do to be considered blameless, to be considered a righteous man. Now, he, when he falls and stumbles or when he commits a sin, he, he does sacrifices. He sacrifices to the Lord. He does all the righteous things. He also does sacrifices to the Lord. It talks about the sacrifices he, gives, he makes unto the Lord. He's making, he meets all the righteous requirements of the law. He also sacrifices for his children just in case they did something that they shouldn't have done. He checks all the boxes. He meets all the requirements of the uh, all the requirements for of being righteous according to the law. He is doing the work that he needs to do. Unfortunately, when Job is tested by God, and he is at the point of death. And he has these scabs and these scars all over the, his skin, all over his body, from head to toe. He's got all these 
Scabs, he's in the dust. What did it just say? Dogs were licking his sores. He was using pottery to scrape those scabs off. I mean, it is, it's pretty vicious. Job and his friends are wondering, Job is wondering, look, I've done everything righteous. I am the most righteous man on the planet. Why are you treating me as though I'm a sinner? Questioning God. Does that sound like a righteous man questioning God? That's what he's doing. That's what his friends are doing. Job is responding to the test that God is putting him through with arrogance, with pride, and with self-righteousness. Throughout the book of Job, Throughout the middle portions of, the, of those chapters, especially in chapter this chapter, chapter 19, the language that Job is using is forensic language. It is judicial language. It is courtroom language. Job is trying to argue his case of being blameless with God. He is making or trying to make an argument for himself for being blameless is God. With God. He is so adamant about his case, his self righteousness, that in verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were in, uh, in, inscribed on, uh, in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock. Forever. See, we thought that he was talking, when you just read that, you think when well, he's talking about the gospel, he's talking about God or something. He's talking about himself. He's talking about making an argument for himself about being self-righteous that, that he could stand on his own two feet. Because I've done everything that God is, that, that the law is required me to do. I'm blameless. You know, Paul talks about being blameless as a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he talks about how he did everything he was supposed to. He was blameless. But you know what Paul goes on to say? It's all rubbish. It's all rubbish for knowing Christ. It's meaningless. It's a pile of done. We offered knowing Christ. That's where we're getting at. That's where Job is at. Job is, is self-righteous. He, he's prideful. He's, he wants to, to, to make it. He's so adamant about his, his, his argument for being self-righteous that he says, Put right, I want to write it on, a, on the rock. So it'll stand forever how righteous I am. What does that sound like? That sounds horrible. Job wants his self-righteous testimony to be uh, like courtroom, right? I want it on record. Court reporter, put it on record. For the time of my judgment. These are famous last words. Because Job doesn't know what he's talking about. He believes that his self-righteousness is based on his works. He's a Pharisee. He's a Christian. 
He's a Christian or someone who thinks that they can earn their way to heaven. You talk to people like that where they think, well, they're okay. They're okay. They're, they know Jesus. We've done everything we're supposed to. I have, really haven't sinned. I'm innocent. I've done everything I need to do to earn my way to heaven. That's works righteousness. Because your focus is not where it needs to be. Job wants to argue his case of innocence with God. Job believes that God is against him. Isn't that interesting? He, he thinks because you're making me go through this and I'm suffering so much, God has to be against me. And so his, his friends are saying, well, it's because you sinned. You sinned. You did something wrong. And he said, oh, no, I've done everything I'm supposed to. He thinks that God wants to kill him. He says, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terror of God are arrayed against me. That's chapter 6, verse 4. He thinks God wants to kill him. Because Job also believes that he will never see good again. And he says so. My life is a breath. My eyes will never again see good. Job 7, 7. Now, we think about brokenness. We think about the fallen world. And we, and we know that there's enmity between God and fallen man, the fallen world. That, that means that God is against you. That God is against humanity. They're basically at war. So we know that that's Scripture. But here we have a, guy, a man who believes in God and, and, and does the things that he knows are, are the right things to do in keeping the law. But now he does feel that God is, is against him. So there's kind of shadows of truth in what he's saying and what he's thinking, but no, he's been deceived. He's getting deceived. He's very deceived because of his self-righteousness and pridefulness. Joe believes that he is innocent of any wrongdoing for the suffering that he's enduring. He says, I have not denied the word of the Holy One. Job goes on to say, though I am in the right, but he's saying, though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my judge. Okay, now that's talking out of both sides of your mouth, isn't it? Though I'm right, I'm going to ask for mercy. That's what he's saying. Though I'm right, God, I'm going to ask for mercy. Self-pride, self-centered arrogance, self-righteousness. Listen, he, Job is foolishly trying to absolve or to be absolved from the punishment of sin. And to, and to do it and to earn it, to earn it on his own, to make an argument for himself. 
He believes that God is his enemy. He's convinced that God is not listening to his pleas. And that God is set on his destruction. Dell Banks, what we today in New Testament makes, after he says all this and he's thinking all this and he's doing all this, as we get to verse 25 through 27, Job goes from this to making what we see today in New Testament times a very profound statement. Very profound. In verse 25, Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. Like you're going like, where did that come from? He's doing all this stuff. He's, he's saying all this stuff. He's being so prideful, so arrogant. Give it up thinking God's not listening to me. He's going to punish me. I know I'm going to die. He's wanting to kill me. Then he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Now to be fair to the passage, in, in proper biblical hermeneutics, that's how we interpret proper interpretation of the Bible. We cannot, in New Testament times, read into that passage. That we have to take it for what it's saying according to what we think Job is talking about. He doesn't know about Jesus. This is centuries before Jesus. As a matter of fact, we don't know when the book of Job was written. We don't know who wrote it. Something Moses. Something Solomon. So it's very difficult to say. They believe, some people believe that it's one of the first books, if not the first book that was ever written. Biblical books. So we cannot read New Testament theology into what he's saying. We have to try to understand what he's talking about when he says that I know that my Redeemer lives. So what do we do? So we look up the word, the Hebrew term, Redeemer. The, the, the Hebrew term, Goel. Goel means, can be interpreted and is interpreted many times as Redeemer. It is. And that is proper. Now we know who that Redeemer is. We know that our Redeemer and Job's Redeemer is Jesus Christ. We know that. But that's not the way Job is thinking he doesn't know about Jesus. When he says Goel, the Hebrew word Goel, he's talking about a kinsman Redeemer. A kinsman Redeemer. And what, uh, it, it, because that's a proper interpretation of that word as well. King, kinsman Redeemer. What is a kingsman redeemer? Well, a kingsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to various laws in the Pentateuch, has the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or in need. That's a kingsman redeemer. A kingsman redeemer is the, is, is the one who delivers, rescues, or redeems property or redeems a person out of slavery. Now that's sounding like someone we know and love. The kingsman redeemer, the kingsman redeemer 
redeems or vindicates a relative. And, and, and uh, it's illustrated in the book of Ruth where the kingsman redeemer is Boaz. That's her kingsman redeemer. Now, we do not know who Job is talking about. We don't know. Like, who's he talking about? Like, okay, kingsman redeemer, a relative? He has a relative somewhere? It doesn't come out in the text. And we know that Job himself has told us in the, in the text, in the book, that there is no one else that can make a better argument for his innocence than himself. That's what Job has said himself. And now he's talking about this kingsman redeemer. So there's a mystery here as to who he's talking about. We know, unbeknownst to him, possibly, that his Redeemer is Christ. His Redeemer is Christ. In verse 26, Job goes on to say, After my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, yet in, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Now, New Testament theology, we see that and we go, he's talking about resurrection. He's talking about when we are resurrected and put into our imperishable body, we're put into our souls or put back into a, 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 a human body, an imperishable body, and in our imperishable body, we will see God. That's what we see. And that's truth. In New Testament times. But what is Job talking about? What is Job talking about? Well, the, the, that passage, I mean, that verse can be interpreted a little differently. It can be interpreted as after my skin has been destroyed, yet without my flesh, I can see God. There's a variation there. It's a disputed verse. It's kind of hard to tell whether he's saying in my flesh or without my flesh, I'm going to see God. But there is certainly a connotation there that it's a, it's a, it, there, there could be a resurrection. Now, the, the, the Jews believe that there would be a resurrection at the end time, that all, everyone, well, the ones who believe in resurrection, the Jews who believe in resurrection, that they would be resurrected. But remember, not all the Jews believed in life after death. It's it's goes, it gets deeper. We won't get into it today. But again, Job is confident that God will appear and vindicate him of his charges. Now, he's perhaps thinking that he's going to do it while he's laying in the dust, dying. And God's going to show up and he's going to vindicate him. See, but there's still pridefulness here because he wants to be vindicated. And this is according to the book in front of his friends so everyone can see that he's vindicated. That's pridefulness. He wants to be vindicated so all can say, you know what, I told you I was right. Job is also confident that he will see God and he elaborates further in verse 27. Indeed, at the end, indeed, at the end of the book, he does see God. He does see God. 
And he says something like he's going to put his hand over his mouth so he'll stop talking. <laughs> Job learns a valuable lesson about the sovereignty of God that he needs to trust God. He needs to trust God, not himself. And we see at the end of the book that he is restored to full health and he prospers. The book of Job is a story of the destruction of Job's self-image, self-righteousness. The problem is not what Job is doing, but a flaw in what and how he's thinking. His defect is not one of outward action. Outwardly, he looks like a Christian. Let's say he's a righteous man. But inwardly, but his inward thoughts, especially how he perceives himself in relationship to God, are flawed. Job, like us, needs to repent of his righteousness. Have you ever thought about that? Repenting of your righteousness, self-righteousness. Knowing that it is all about Him. It is all about Christ. It is all about God. For us today, the Bible makes it clear what Job does not know. That we will indeed be vindicated by the life and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that God, that we will see God in our resurrected body. At the beginning of this sermon, we talked about the worldly, worldly righteousness and that it depends on you, on the self, on who you are and who you want to be. What a deception. But what do you need to hear? You need to hear that God will allow you, us, Everyone who thinks that they are righteous in their own eyes to fall, to be humbled. And then He will build you up spiritually by His grace. Why does God allow us to be tested knowing full well that we're going to fail? He allows us to be tested so that we will know that it is all about Him. That our, that our salvation, that our righteousness is about Him. It is on Him. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. It is all about Him. Everything we do, everything we are, depends on Him, not upon us. It is about Him. And that is who we rejoice in. We rejoice in our Redeemer, because our Redeemer lives. And in our flesh, we will see God. Let us pray. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.